0: Today uh, we're calling the message RESPECT, R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Find out what it means to me, to you, all right? Well, the first footprints put on the moon will probably be there for a really, really long time. Maybe, maybe almost as long as the moon itself. Unlike Earth, There is no quick erosion by wind or water on the moon. Nothing gets washed away, if you will. Now, since the moon has no atmosphere, it's exposed to what's called the solar wind, a stream of charged particles coming from the sun. And over time, they do act almost like weather here on Earth to scour the surface of the moon, but the process is very, very slow. And so the footprints left by those astronauts back in the 1960s on the moon could last thousands of years they're still there today and just in a a few years ago they took some pictures you can go online and you can see those footsteps still on the moon those footprints well that made me think of this we all are leaving lasting footprints in life you realize that where we go what we accomplish, the influence that we have on others. These are the permanent legacy that we leave behind us. And so we ought to be careful with the lasting footprints that we leave. And nowhere is this truer than in the church. You realize that Jesus left his footprints, if you will, he left them with 12 men that he called his apostles. That, that word apostle means one cent on a mission. And then in turn, those apostles left footprints for future followers of Jesus through their, their writings that we call the New Testament. As well as by handing off leadership of the church to men in local congregations called elders or overseers or pastors. Well, as we've been working our way through the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy, we've seen that there's been a a problem with the movers and shakers, if you will, of the church in Ephesus. False teaching and pagan practices have been creeping into the church, and Paul writes to Timothy to encourage him and help him to put people in positions of leadership that will safeguard Two key areas. We've seen this is, this is kind of the theme of First Timothy, if you will. The two key areas are right doctrine and righteous living. And those two key areas are necessary for the sake of the spread of the gospel, which is the purpose of the church. And so in our passage today, Paul paints a picture for us of what these church leaders should look like based on their their aspirations and their lifestyles and their attitudes. And so today, as we explore the role of these church leaders, uh, in a way, I'm kind of putting uh, our church leadership, which includes myself and our elders, on the hot spot. And I'm aware of that, but I also want to encourage you and challenge all of you today, because what Paul requires of leaders ought to be a standard for all of us. After all, if we're called to walk in the footprints of our leaders, we ought to also pursue similar lifestyles and attitudes toward Christian maturity. So let's begin with Paul's opening statement in 1 Timothy chapter three and verse one, when Paul says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Now, this is the second of three trustworthy sayings that Paul has for Timothy in this letter. I mentioned one a couple of weeks ago when we were in chapter one. These sayings or these statements are, are both faithful to the gospel message and they're worthy of our trust. And they're also windows, if you, if you will, into the health of the church. So studying or looking at these sayings can help us to be reminded of the foundations of our faith. Returning to these apostle-approved, trustworthy sayings can return us to the core of the essential gospel. So I want to remind you, all the way back in chapter 1, the first trustworthy statement in chapter 1 in verse 15 was that Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's so important, isn't it? To recognize that's what we're all about is a part of the church, reflecting Jesus, helping people to come to Jesus. It's focused, that statement, this focus is on Christ and it's on salvation. Now there's a a third statement that's coming up in chapter four. We're gonna get to it in a couple of weeks uh, and and we'll look at it more in depth, but it's on the screen here and it focuses on this idea of godliness, godliness in this present life and in the life to come. How we live our lives as believers in this world and how we prepare for the life to come. So those are kind of the bookends of the trustworthy statements. But today we're looking at statement number two, the second trustworthy statement, which begins our text today. And it focuses, I want you to think of it as kind of a bridge from that first statement of salvation to that third statement of the life to come. And so our second statement reflects the bridge. And what is that bridge? It is the church. And so this passage emphasizes the significance of the church and of godly church leadership as those leaders leave those clear footprints for us. It's important that the church today has leadership that will safeguard right doctrine and righteous living for the sake of the spread of the gospel, And respect plays an important part in selecting those church leaders and in following those leaders. The qualities of good church leaders found in today's text ought to be a standard for all of us as followers of Christ. So I'm going to use that theme of respect today as we examine the role of an elder and our role as the body of Christ, also called the church. So we're going to start, first of all, with respect the task. Number one, respect the task. We're going back to verse one again. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. A noble task. It's important for us to note that Paul here is not giving the first qualification in a list for those that are serving as overseer. Rather, he is making this trustworthy, foundational statement about the church and its leaders. The role of a church leader, an elder, is a noble task. That word noble means beautiful as an outward sign of the inward good, honorable heart. It, worthiness, those are all wrapped up in that idea of noble uh, And so those who are called to lead our congregation have a very high calling, a worthy task. And by the way, they do so willingly. And they do so in our church at no charge. You know, it's pretty cool. Every month I get a paycheck from you all. I hope you know that. Thank you. And I appreciate that. As your preacher, you're faithful to pay me. But we have our elders in our church and they don't get paid. And they are called to this noble calling, and they serve you at no cost. They serve you willingly because it is a noble calling. That means that the role of elder is both respectable and to be respected. And we can show our respect by not making the lives of our elders more difficult, by showing trust and respect to those who serve. And then notice also that Paul calls it not just noble, but a noble task. A task, that's a word from the world of labor, to work, employment, a deed, an action. Wow. And so that means that being an elder is hard work. It's hard work. And we can show our respect toward our elders by recognizing their hard work. Instead of second guessing or arguing or complaining, We can trust that when they make a decision about our church family, that a lot of hard work and prayer and thought has gone into that decision. I want you to understand how hard our elders labor on our behalf. And you know what? Mostly in areas that you will never, ever see. And that's by design, I think working with difficult situations in in families and in marriages and things like that, praying, laboring, studying the scriptures to ensure that proper teaching is taking place in our church. Long hours spent away from their families, even though they, like you, have jobs and responsibilities and tasks to take care of. And all this they do willingly, willingly because they've been called to this noble task of church leadership. Now, I want to just take a moment to recognize our elders. They don't know that I'm going to do this, and so they're going to love it because most of them just love being pointed out. But uh, I want you to know who our six elders are. We have six men that willingly serve in this noble task. I'm going to start on this side, and I see Joel and Dina. Raise your hands back there. Joel and Dina Powell. Dina, you can raise your hand too. Dina loves to be recognized in public. All right, Joel and Dina Powell. And I want to make sure there's Peter and Sue Wolf. Peter, raise your hand. And Sue, Peter is currently serving as the chairman of our elders, and that's a task that's rotated amongst the elders every couple of years. I see Tim Farnsworth here. Tim, raise your hand. And Martha's not with him. Martha's home caring for their daughter, Hannah. And uh, who else am I missing here? Don't hide. Where's the rest of the elders? There's Ed and Shirley Davidson. Ed, raise your hand. You saw Ed in the communion thought earlier, and I see Randy and Carol. Carol loves to be called out in public. (laughs) Randy and Carol right there in the doorway. And then uh, where's my sixth elder? Dick and Julie Beswick in the back row back there. There's Dick and Julie. So I want to just recognize elders, and I think let's just say thank you to them by giving them a round of applause. (laughs) Now just a few other thoughts regarding church leaders before we move on. It's important to know that there are three words in the New Testament used in reference to church leaders. They are overseer, and elder, and pastor. And these three titles are synonyms, if you will. They're used interchangeably in scripture to describe the same person or group of people. Now, I recognize that some churches, some denominations and the like, they use these three terms to reference different Positions in church leadership. But in the New Testament, we see that these three terms refer to just one clear set of leaders in the local church, maybe serving in different roles, but the same set of men. And this is the best way I can think of to to illustrate this is we're going to look at a verse in Acts chapter 20. And this is where Paul is meeting with the church leaders at Ephesus. This very church that that he's writing to Timothy. Timothy is there in the church at Ephesus. So before Paul left Ephesus, he met with the church leaders, and here's what he had to say to them. In verse uh, 17 and 18 from Miletus, Paul sent out word to Ephesus, and he called to himself the elders of the church. There's the first term, the elders. And when they came to him, he said to them, and then there's a number of things he had to say to them, and he begins to wrap it up in verses 28. And when he Warns them. He says, "Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers." There's another term, "to shepherd." There's a third term, "the church of God," which He purchased with His own blood. Isn't that great? Three words, three roles, same set of men. So I've got a slide here I want to share with you. So the the Greek word "presbyteros," uh, often in English, it's translated as "elder." The definition, a mature man having seasoned judgment, an older man of stature. stature. So you can see it has the idea of wisdom and and, uh, age. Episcopos, you see the English word scope that comes out of there. One who looks intently, the overseer, like a judge at the end of a race, the, the referee at the finish line. Properly, a man called to keep an eye on a specific area of responsibility. Supervisor, ruler, an old English word that if you use old King James or you might hear the term bishop, that's where that word comes from, episkopos. And then the the third word, poimino, the English word shepherd, tending, which includes guarding, guiding, and folding the flock, pasturing, all right, taking care of the sheep. That's where we get our word pastor, right out of that word, pasturing. So the appointment of elders in the local church is the Lord Jesus' own provision for leadership. This is not an invention of man. Too many churches today are being operated like business corporations or like social clubs that are run for the benefit of their members And they're busy electing people, leaders to, you know, different positions through a democratic procedure. But, you know, in the New Testament, we don't see that. What we see is that Jesus himself set up the structure of leadership. The apostles handed that leadership down. Jesus is the head of the church. And as such, he has designated the kind of leaders and the function of leaders within the church. And then one more thing in this section before we move on. I want you to understand how we here at Garden Way understand the role or task of elder. And that is that it is a position in this church, uh, we understand that women did not hold in New Testament times. And so we follow that precedent. Uh, What Uh, And so we might ask, was this just a a timely command put in place because of cultural dynamics, or was it a a timeless command that's rooted in a a theology of church leadership? And, And Christians attempting to read the Bible accurately sometimes disagree about this. Sometimes they disagree very vigorously but I want you to understand one thing as we talk about this. One thing I want to make clear, and that is this is about roles in the church, not worth. It's not about worth. So when we call men to be the elders of the church, we understand that men and women can have differing roles in the church without devaluing their worth. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we talked about the idea of equality and unity in the church and how God calls all men and all women together as equals. And so there's no sense anywhere in scripture where one's sex, whether it's male or female, is connected with being greater than or lesser than. And so it's very important we recognize that. And we must be careful not to devalue one another in the church by our roles when we act with pride or superiority or judgmentalism. We want to avoid all of those things. We've been talking about that all the way through Timothy so far. And then one other thing, additionally here at Garden Way Church, we use the title preaching minister to identify our primary pastor teacher, and that's the role that I hold. And our elders want you to know that our practice has been and will continue to be that the preaching minister must meet the requirements for elder or shepherd or overseer. And therefore, only a man will serve in this specific staff role at Garden Way. However, other staff roles may be held by either women or men. That's long been our practice at Garden Way and it continues to be our practice. So I want us just to be aware of those things as we understand this passage, that the role of elder is one designated to certain, qualified, mature men who serve as shepherds, as overseers, and as father figures for the church family. So together, may we respect the task. Now let's move on to the next point, and that is to respect the qualities. The qualities. After emphasizing the noble task associated with leading the Lord's church, Paul begins to outline some of the qualities for those who would serve. And before we look at some of those qualities, it's important to remind ourselves of something. That is, this is not a checklist that's to be kept perfectly. But instead, it is a picture of qualities to aspire to. As I said at the beginning of the message today, these are all qualities that all Christians should pursue in their lives. And so rather than looking at that as a list, how about considering this as facets of a beautiful jewel, each one helping the church leader to shine just a bit brighter as they serve and lead Within the body of Christ. The great violinist Nicola Paganini willed his marvelous violin to the city of Genoa on one condition, and that was that no one ever would play it again. Now, the wood of an instrument like a precious violin, while it's used and while it's handled, wears only slightly. But when it is set aside, it begins to decay. Rather rapidly, Paganini's lovely violin has today become a worm eaten and it's useless except as a relic. It looks pretty good in that picture in a case, but if you were to look up close, the thing is a mess. No one will ever play that violin again. And I want you to think about it this way when we put people on a shelf and restrict their ability to serve, to be used, to be played, we may soon destroy their capacity for usefulness. I want you to remember that list keeping is one of the dangers of legalism. When we take a beautiful picture, such as Paul paints here, and we reduce it to a list use to judge or to disqualify one another by our particular definition or preference or opinion, then we take what God has meant for good and we use it for harm, to devalue one another. Now, I'm going to take some time this morning to, to look at some of these qualities for the church leader, but I'm not going to examine every one of the 15 qualities in Paul's list. Some of them are quite clear and very self-explanatory. So instead, I'd like to look at a, a few key themes defined by the qualities. Once again, reminding ourselves that these are qualities that all Christians should pursue. So we're not discounting ourselves when we say, "Oh, I'm not an elder, so I don't have to be that way, all right? That's my warning today. So let's read the text together. The words are going to be on the screen, and then we'll break it down. 1 Timothy chapter two, or 3, beginning in verse 2. Let's read. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Amen. The word of God. So let's begin with theme number one of these qualities. And the Theme number one is reputation, reputation. Paul's qualities uh, are held together. I want you to kind of think of them like bookends, if you will, Uh, focused on the leader's reputation. So he starts in verse two and he says, therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. And then when he closes out his uh, list of, of, of qualities, he says, moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, So let's think about this idea of of reputation. What does it mean to be above reproach? That sounds sounds daunting, doesn't it? Almost like being perfect, which sounds impossible. But I like how one author illustrated this word. He, He wrote, there's an image attached to this word, above reproach, a metaphor of a boxer, a boxer who's so good that his opponent can't land a single hit. This has to do more with, uh, with more than just leadership within the church. There is the issue of public witness. When people both inside and outside the church hear that you are in leadership, does it make sense to them? They might not agree with your doctrine, but they ought to look at your life and think, yeah, that was a good call. You want them to lead. I like how he phrased that. You want them to lead. They are above reproach. In other words, nobody can point a finger and say, oh, I see what kind of guy they are. You see, that matters because you know what? There's nothing worse than a disgraced leader or a disgraced church member who brings shame on the church and undermines the message of the gospel, And we deal with this all the time in the modern world, don't we? Especially with social media, when we hear about, especially large churches or prominent pastors or church leaders, when they fall. And it brings disgrace, not just on their local church, but it brings disgrace on the Lord's church, of which we're all a part of. And so, let us choose leaders who are above reproach. You know, if rumors spread about our bad character or our actions— We might ask, do people latch on to them because it's in line with what they know? Or are they skeptical? And they might say, oh, that that doesn't sound like him. That doesn't sound like her. Granted, we are far from perfect and we can't control what others think about us, whether it's fair or unfair. But we can always ask the question, does our public life diminish accusations and rumors or does it give them life? And so a church leader must be a person who is thought of well both within and outside the church. Now, some other words from Paul's list kind of build on this theme of good reputation, self control respectable, not quarrelsome. Altogether, the picture here is of a person whose positive attributes put them just a cut above most of the other people around them. Someone who can be looked up to Because they are above reproach. Now let's go to the second theme. And the second theme I've chosen to note is family. Family. Because an elder or or shepherd is a father for the flock of Christ called the church, it's important that they're experienced at handling family life in a positive way. And so Paul lists several qualities that help us see this family theme. In verse 2, He says, the the elder must be a husband of one wife. And in verses four and five, he writes, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. If someone doesn't know how to manage his own household, how will he take care uh, of God's church? So the qualities here point to faithfulness faithfulness in marriage. In verse 2, we could literally define that husband of one wife as a one-woman man. This is a man who is intimately connected only to his wife, not just physically, but emotionally. He's a a faithful husband. He's not a, a flirt. He's not enslaved to the sin of mental lust. And again, this doesn't mean absolute perfection, Because we all know that doesn't happen this side of heaven, right? Just ask anybody that's married. There's no one that's perfect, right? So, it does, though, demand a consistent faithfulness characterized by by honor and mutual submission and sacrificial love. These are all pictures, parts of the painting that Paul's putting together here. And then in verse four, it says he must manage his own household well. And that Includes all aspects of family life. His relationship with his wife, with their finances, with their interactions with neighbors, and all kinds of other things. But especially, Paul singles out having his children in submission. The phrase, with all dignity with all dignity. That might refer to the man's manner in dealing with his children. Does he deal with them in a dignified way? It could also refer to the the children. Are they properly uh, dignified in their behavior towards their parents? Now, I I don't think what Paul's talking about here is that an an elder's uh, children should never disobey. Good luck with that, right? Or that their older children or even their adult children must always be perfect examples. Boy, that would put a lot of pressure on the kids. But I think what Paul's talking about here is he's saying that an elder's family life should be exemplary. If his own children disrespect him, he will not have the respect of the body of Christ. These qualities illustrate That church leaders have a priority. A priority that comes even before their ministry to the church. And that is their ministry to their family. You know, it is a tragedy for a leader to be so involved in the church that they neglect their family. And I've seen this happen so often in the lives of of preachers and elders in the church through the years. With the result that their children grow up to, to resent the church or even hate the church. Or even resent and hate the Lord. Because their dads weren't present enough. So it's important for us, church family, that we respect the time of our elders so that they can invest in their families and thereby become better shepherds for us, better overseers of the flock. Well, one more theme in this area of qualities, respecting the qualities, and that has to do with attitude. Attitude. Sometimes we say of young kids when they act out or maybe they're getting a bit rebellious, we might say, oh, that one's got an attitude, right? You ever say that about a little one? Or to your older kids, maybe you've done this to your older kids, your teens perhaps, your grandkids maybe, hey, hey, lose the attitude. You know what I'm saying? Lose the attitude. Well, this is the sense in which I want to address this third theme for the qualities of church leaders. Church leaders should lead with a positive attitude that flows into positive actions. An elder should be known for a number of good habits that he's formed. Paul says he's to be sober-minded. Basically, that means to be, to be calm. He's not flighty or nervous, constantly jumping from one thing to another. Paul says the elder is to be self-controlled. That has the idea of just that inner peace that governs. And then a discipline of life that keeps him level and steady. That's all part of that self-control. And then an elder is to be hospitable. Hospitable, that word literally means a lover of strangers. We get our word hospital from it in English. Hospitable. And so the elder extends hospitality and care to strangers and to the people in the church. Another part of this important part of attitude is that Paul says an elder must also be able to teach, able to teach. And this is a very important requirement. Paul's concern in the Ephesian church, you remember, that was false teachers were leading the church astray in a variety of areas. That's why he's writing to Timothy. That's why he's encouraging Timothy to get things in order. Because elders are to be the guardians of truth and teaching in the local church. Now, not all elders are going to be public teachers or preachers, but they must be able to accurately handle the Scriptures, to correct those that are misusing them, and to recognize error when it appears. And they do this all the while while they are maintaining a godly, compassionate, caring attitude, teaching by the example of their lives. Now, there are a number of other qualities that we haven't touched on this morning in the text which help to fill out this beautiful picture of the committed nature of principled men who are called to lead in God's church. But I just want to say this. May we respect the noble task to which they are called, and may we respect the qualities they're pursuing and passing on to us as they leave those footprints for us to follow. Well, as we wrap up, let's look at this third point. We've talked about respect, respecting the task, respecting the qualities. Now we want to talk about respecting the plan. God has a plan by which he desires to produce maturity in his people. And you know what that plan is called? It's called the church. Also called the body of Christ. Also called the family of God or the household of God. Also called the pillar and support of the truth. You see, it is through the church led by clearly defined and carefully selected leaders that God's plan is carried out for all of his people. God doesn't have a backup plan. You realize that? He doesn't have a plan B. His whole plan is is wrapped up in his bride called the church. He wants us to thrive together, to grow together, to share the good news together. And so I want to encourage you. Will you be in prayer for our leaders, for our elders, as they lead us in following God's plan? Because it's not an easy task, but it is one that can be accomplished when we seek the Lord's guidance. I also want you to note another thing from the text here, and that is elders are the special targets of the enemy. I want you to look in these two verses here. Both of them mention the devil. You understand that God's leaders are under attack, and they need protection. And so please pray for your elders. I, it kind of reminded me of this far side could, uh, cartoon, uh, two deers talking. Bummer of a birthmark, Hal. That guy's got a big target on his chest. I want you to understand this, folks. Our church leaders are marked men. They've got a target on them. If Satan can cause a church leader to fall, then you know what happens? He brings down many others. So please, will you pray? Pray for me. Pray for our elders that we would daily be walking in reality before God, judging ourselves according to God's word. You see, we are all called to respect God's plan. Now, we can respond this morning by being overwhelmed with guilt and running for cover. Oh, that list is just overwhelming. Sure glad I'm not an elder. Huh, I'm done with that. That's how we can respond. Or we can respond by walking in God's grace and understanding the process of growth that he's calling us to, that he wants for all of us, not just our leaders. And so I want to encourage you to do something specific this week. I want to encourage you to pick one or two qualities from this list in 1 Timothy. There's 15 of them. So you won't want for finding one or two that you can apply to your own life. And you can think, I, I'm struggling or I'm weak in this area or that area. Just pick one or two at the most. And I want to encourage you to do this. Study the quality in God's word. Maybe you'll look up that word and find other passages about it. And then ask God to begin to develop that quality more in your life. That's my challenge to all of us this week. To pray, to seek out one of these qualities and ask God to build us up together in Christian maturity. You see, being a part of God's plan should be exciting. It's not drudgery. It's not hard work. You understand that the living, innovative Christ who holds the world in the palm of his hand, who opens doors and shuts others, that same God That same Lord Jesus Christ is directing the activity of his church. And friends, he is in our midst. That is exciting. That ought to build you up and encourage you. That is what the church is. And so surely, leadership in the church, eldership, is indeed a noble task. So together, may we respect that task. May we pursue these qualities and may we faithfully walk in the footsteps of those who have gone before us. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful for your word that is living and active. Father, we are grateful to be a part of your living church, Father, that you've called us out of the world of darkness, the world of disappointment and heartache and hurt, the world of rebellion and hatred. And Lord, you have called us into your heavenly kingdom and into your church, the glorious bride of Christ. Father, you have called us into the church. Father, thank you for the hope, the purpose, the peace that we have from being a part of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would walk in those footsteps laid out for us, that we would follow your plan, Lord, that we would pursue these qualities, and Lord, that we would do so walking in your grace and with the strength that only you can give us through your Holy Spirit. And it is in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we prepare to close up today, we're gonna sing a final song